Thank you for listening to this Lunchtime Talk, produced by the Art Gallery of South Australia. In this live recording, the Art Gallery's curator of European and Australian decorative arts, Rebecca Evans, discusses the new culture of leisure and fashion in Colours of Impressionism, masterpieces from the Musée d'Orsay. Good afternoon, everybody. Hello. Wow, there's quite a few people in this space right now. Um, but welcome to the Art Gallery of South Australia. My name is Rebecca Evans, and I am the gallery's curator of decorative arts. And I'm going to start by just have you know a bit of a disclaimer. We are in a 19th century art gallery at the moment, and this gallery is not designed for PAs, and I know there are terrible acoustics in this space, so I'm going to speak slowly and hopefully clearly, and I hope you all understand what I'm talking about. But if anything doesn't make sense, or you can't hear me, please feel free to come and speak to me after my talk. Um, but I would first like to start this talk by acknowledging that the land we meet today is the traditional lands of the Ghana people, and that I respect their spiritual relationship with the country. I also acknowledge the Ghana people as the traditional custodians of the Adelaide region, and that their culture and heritage are as important uh, to the living people, uh, living Ghana people today. But you may be wondering, why is the decorative arts curator speaking about uh, Impressionism and in particular paintings? Um, I am not a specialist in the area of painting, nor in the area of European um, painting in particular. Um, my area, because I do look around the room this afternoon and I see a lot of people who aren't guides or aren't volunteers, people who are perhaps new to the gallery, which has been a very exciting part of this exhibition. So as the decorative arts curator, I look after European and Australian fashion, textiles, ceramics, glass, metalwork, furniture, and also stamps and coins but not painting and not sculpture. But what makes my heart beat fast of all those areas is fashion. And fashion is an area that I've worked in curatorially for about 10 years at the moment. So when I was asked to present a talk in Colours of Impressionism, I couldn't go past the opportunity to talk about 19th century fashion and the representation of 19th century fashion by painters from the late 19th century in Paris. 19th century fashion is a subject that's very close to my heart. Um, it's an extraordinary period in fashion in Western Europe, in uh, France and in England. We see a lot of markers uh, that established what we now know as the fashion industry. We get the first labels the first brands of fashion. We get the evolution of the six monthly seasonal changes in fashion. We get some of the most extraordinary shapes you've ever seen in fashion history, almost akin to sculpture rather than fashion. We get the caged crinoline, we get the, um, the bustle, we get some of the most ridiculous um, shapes and sizes and sleeves that put the 1980s to shame. Um, we also have a, a huge change in culture and society. And I think that when we look at 
uh, a period in art history as iconic as the French Impressionists, we can get roped up in thinking about the application of paint, brush strokes, coloured, all of that, and we forget about the bigger social and cultural picture. The 19th century, in terms of technology, in terms of fashion, we moved from cottage industry, production of textiles, through to mass mechanised weaving. We have the evolution and the invention of the first synthetic dyes from the late 1850s. Brilliant bright colours are used in fashion from the 1960s onwards. We also get the origins of the suffrage movements. The late 19th century, Amelia Bloomer um, uh, introduces her bloomers, um, which is a, you know, a more appropriate dress for women. We get the introduction of the aesthetic dress, which is a reaction to the tightly corseted styles that are quite popular at that time. So there are huge changes in fashion, huge changes in society, in the operation, I guess, the movement of people. And then amongst that, we have this wonderful, vibrant period of um, art history through the Impressionists. Um, my favourite connection between fashion and between the Impressionists is the use of colour. And of course, um, one of the key curatorial rationales behind this exhibition is to explore the history of Impressionism through the evolution of colour. And we go from Gallery 1 at the moment, we're surrounded by a lot of paintings that are dark, they're black, um, and I may have chosen my outfit this afternoon to um, contrast with these paintings. Um, and we move through the exhibition, and at the very end, you get these bright hyper colours. And of course, that's only possible because of the invention of synthetic dyes. And if we want to think about black as a colour, black is not a colour, basically. It's colours. So it's the combination of lots of different colours. And for most of history, in paint and in textiles, colour comes from the natural world. And I'm not quite of the generation to remember, but of course, red comes from the cochineal beetle. And for those who've had um, icing in red, from cochineal beetles of a certain generation you might remember. Blues came from, uh, come from indigo from East Asia. We have purples from crushed shells around the Mediterranean. And so for most of history, colour has come from the natural world, often very expensive, often very time consuming to produce. So in the late 1850s, a man called Henry Perkins in 1857 invents something called aniline dye. And aniline dye transforms the fashion industry first and the textile industry. From the early 1860s, you suddenly get these bright pinks, these bright purples, greens, blues, and colors that you've never seen before in that vibrancy um, in fashion. And eventually, those colours are then used a little bit later in the paint palettes of the artists that are in this exhibition, Colours of Impressionism. 
But what that means for dress and what that means for fashion is that you move from the overly patterned, the overly decorated designs, often floral patterns, of the early 19th century. And by the time you get to the 1860s, you rely more on those vibrant colors as opposed to the patterns applied to them. And it's always this, this crazy period where you have uh, bustles and ruching and pleating and bows and draping. And you look at some of these um, uh, dresses from that period and it's a bit nuts, let's be honest. It's just everything applied onto the dress but all in the same fabric to uh, showcase these vibrant aniline dyes. And for those who are regulars to the gallery, you may have seen our example of an 1860s aniline dye blue dress made in Warren in Adelaide, which was on display in Gallery 15 in October 2016, I think. So thinking about uh, these paintings, not just iconic paintings from art history, but as also windows into the social, economic and political um, periods in which, in which they were made. I'm going to talk about two paintings. One is on your right, the James Tissot, which Tony Magnusson, our curator of European art and the coordinating curator for this exhibition, and I have decided to call James Tissot the fashion curator's impressionist. And also the painting on your left, the Renoir painting of Madame Duras. Um, one of the greatest innovations for the Impressionists was their radical use of color, their application of strokes of complementary or contrasting pure color inspired by color theory, which Tony Magnuson will talk about in a couple of weeks' time, enhanced by these newly available pigments captured the shifting effects of light and color. And this was perfectly in tune with the rapid changes underway in Europe as it entered the modern era. And the impact of Impressionism reverberated around the world. And for those who were here for last week's lunchtime talk, you would have heard our Australian art curator, Tracy Locke, talk about the impact of Impressionism on a number of Australian artists. This exhibition, I mean, one of the difficulties when you have such an iconic period of art history is how to approach it. And I love the way that the curators from the Musée d'Orsay have used colour as a way to chart those changes in Impressionism. But you want me to talk about specific paintings. So I'd like to start by talking about Auguste Renoir's around 1868 portrait of Madame Duras. This painting was painted in the winter of 1872-1873, and it's a study for a larger painting, one of the largest he ever painted, titled Riding in the Bois de Boulogne. This larger painting was rejected by the Salon, um, and it was forced to hang in the Salon of the Rejected, which I just think sounds horrible. <laughs> I'm very glad we don't have uh, an equivalent now. Imagine if you had the uh, rejected paintings from, I don't know, wherever. Um, but this smaller preparatory study of Madame Duras was painted not in the landscape as many of the Impressionists were painting, painting but in the even light of Renoir's studio um, as opposed to the, uh, the larger painting. 
In this portrait, he limits his palette to brilliant blacks, violet tinged greys, russet browns, and cream, uh, cream pinks. And these colours have been applied rapidly wet on wet, making for a beautiful velvety texture and satiny effects. This is especially evident on Madame Duras's hat and bodice. Now she is wearing black, and in the 19th century, you may be forgiven for thinking that she's in mourning, as in uh, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G. But her dress is actually typical riding costume from the period. Unlike dress worn for every day, riding dress reflected men's riding clothing. And this is evident in the reserved color of choice of black and often uh, aspects of her dress imitate men's riding clothing. She wears a small top hat worn tilted down on her forehead and this is to exaggerate the volume of curls piled on the top of her head, which you can't quite see, but is exaggerated by the tumbling ribbon. There are a few feminine additions to her dress, including the spotted veil for modesty, lace blouse peeking through the top of her jacket, and ribbon. And one of my favorite parts of the ribbon is this very dark black line here, which is shown to exaggerate the shape and the, the color of that ribbon. Um, not shown in this portrait is the large, voluminous skirt that she would have worn. And of course, she would have been riding side-saddled. And to ride side-saddled, you would have had to have a very long skirt to completely cover your legs. She didn't want your ankle um, sneaking out. Massive 19th century faux pas. Um, where am I up to? Um, when I look at painting, I often think about, especially portraiture, often think about the construction of identity. Um, we all know that when we go to our wardrobes in the morning, we don't just haphazardly select garments to put on. We construct our identity through the clothes that we wear. And in the 19th century for women, they had very little opportunity to have a voice. They couldn't vote in Western Europe. They couldn't have a job, really, um, at the time. So opportunities for, I guess, advocating personality, um, expressing identity, were very limited to the clothes that they wore. And when I look at a painting, I'm also interested in the way that the artist has portrayed fabric. And one of my favorite cultural historians working in the world now is called uh, Marsha Poynton. And she wrote a wonderful book in 2013 titled Portrayal and the Search for Identity. And for those who want some homework, I would encourage you to have a look. It's a wonderful book that looks at the way that fabric is portrayed by artists from 16th century portraiture right through to contemporary, the beautiful sort of diaphanous depiction of late 18th century um, uh, muslins through to the stiffness of a silk jacket in the case of Renoir's depiction of Madame Duras. Um, and in this painting, Renoir has exaggerated the different textures of her dress um, through his application of wet on wet painting. Um, this includes the wonderful sheen across her hat, 
And of course, that's made of moleskin. And it highlights in almost a, it's almost a pinky white, um, showcasing the shape of her hat. We also get a wonderful uh, highlight at her underarm. Um, and I guess right onto her arm, which, you know, exaggerates uh, the, the silkiness of that jacket. We know, for example, that men's riding jackets would have been wool, but in her case, I'm almost sure that it's actually a silk. Just a little bit of that feminization of that traditional men's riding jacket. Um, but I should look at this painting. We're going to swap with Karina should have introduced Karina, my wonderful colleague from education who's signing for us and for all our lunchtime talks. But this work is by James Tissot and it dates to around 1876 and it's titled The Dreamer. Um, James Tissot is known, known for his paintings of Paris and London society. He was a keen Anglophile and he changed his name to James in 1859. In 1871, he moved to London, and he was asked to participate by a number of the other artists in this exhibition in the first Impressionist exhibition of 1874, which he actually refused. Now, this painting, The Dreamer, is a portrait of Kathleen Newton, his mistress and regular model. Newton lived with him in London from 1876 until her death in 1882. This portrait features Kathleen reclining on a cane chair next to a pond. There is a tree and a small patch of grass in the top left-hand corner. And she sits on a fur-lined chair with a big, puffy, blue-gray pillow. She's probably more green in, this, in the actual painting. She wears a pale, green, a pale pink gown in a princess-lined style. This style of dress was very fashionable in the 1870s and first introduced in London by the couturier Charles Frederick Worth, named for the Princess Alexandra. It is made of one, so it's one piece, not a, a top and a skirt. Um, and it's kind of considered the bodycon dress of the 19th century, very tightly fitted. It would have um, formed over a very tightly corseted body. And at the back, the princess line was most famous for these incredibly exaggerated bustle shapes where a cage bustle form was worn under the dress to pull it back right out from the body. It would have been a very strange thing to see in the 21st century, but of course highly fashionable in the 1870s and the 1880s. Mrs. Newton's dress, uh, in this case, features transparent muslin sleeves and trimming around a very low neckline. The dress has trimmings of pink ribbon and a rose corsage at the chest as well. She uh, holds a white handkerchief in her left hand, which is kind of tumbling down her skirt. Her hair is arranged in the fashionable frizzy fringe style of the 1870s. She wears a black lace scarf around her head and she has fingerless black lace gloves. And on her right hand, she wears several silver bangles. Now, her dress is a strange amalgamation of components that probably wouldn't have been worn outside the home. Her black gloves and scarf don't, in fact, match the gown she is wearing. 
she also doesn't appear to be as tightly corseted as was fashionable at the time. And it's also unlikely that she's wearing a bustle. This is a very private and intimate image. Um, back to Tissot. Tissot made his way into the Royal Academy by painting fashionable society scenes. He is known for painting the elaborate dress styles of the period from the early 1860s. And one of my favourite paintings by James Tissot is titled Too Early, um, and it's in the Guildhall Art Gallery collection, the City of London. This larger painting, which is around 71 by 102 centimetres, depicts a group of well-dressed um, social climbers who've arrived a little bit too early for the ball. In the middle, you can see a group of women, and one of them in particular, she's just got her head bowed, she's got a fan on her, terribly embarrassed that she's arrived at this ball a little bit too early. And in the other side of the painting, we have the hostess of the ball giving instructions to the musicians. They haven't quite started yet. Um, and in, uh, I guess, the crack in the door, you can see two maids poking their heads out, thinking, oh, how embarrassing. These newly wealthy people don't know the etiquette of the time. But one of the beautiful things about this painting is the way that Tissot has represented the dress. Almost, almost uh, it's so accurate. It's like every fold, every bit of lace, every ruched part of the fabric has been depicted with such accuracy that as a fashion uh, curator, I can just see those those beautiful garments leaping out of the canvas on, um, at me. Um, the other painting which I absolutely adore by Tissot is from 1878 and it's titled The Ball. And it's also in the Musée d'Orsay collection. And now this painting features a society woman arriving at a ball, this time on time, because there's people already at the ball. Um, but it features this incredibly dramatic yellow billowing gown with the folded, pleated, and um, gathered bustle. And what I've noticed is with his society portraits, Tissot often, uh, often paints the, the back of women. It's the, the best part of fashion at that time is the, the back of women rather than the front of these gowns. And so when you look at these society portraits, you often see bustle, 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 bustle right through the painting, which is a lovely uh, way for him to capture the fashion at that time. Um, but with this painting that we have currently in the Elder Wing right next to me, this is a very different painting. This is a very intimate, very personal painting. Of course, it is of his mistress, Mrs. Newton, and she, around this time, moves in with James Tissot with um, her daughter, um, and uh, later she gives birth to a son. And she has tuberculosis, which I'm sure you can see around the depiction, or I guess the way that she's reclining. She's in a very, uh, I mean, she looks crook, let's be honest. She's not well by this point. Um, and the way that the fabric has been depicted in this intimate image is very different to the way that Tissot has depicted the fabrics and the fashions in his society portraits. It's, it's much, uh, I guess, looser. The brushstrokes are, are faster. They're less accurate depictions of those fabrics. 
Um, and around this time, Tissot starts painting a lot more of these domestic scenes. He's heartbroken by the declining health of his mistress, his, his great love, I guess, and his uh, muse and the subject of many of his paintings. And he starts painting more and more of these very intimate, very private domestic scenes. Um, Mrs. Newton dies in 1882, not from her tuberculosis, but actually from an overdose of laudanum. She starts taking laudanum uh, just before that period, as she can see Tissot's declining mental health um, around her declining health. It's a tragic story. And two days after her death, uh, Tissot leaves in the middle of the night and returns to Paris, um, and he sells his house. Um, but this painting, um, for me, I, I, I look at it and I see those very rushed, very vigorous brushstrokes as opposed to his uh, society portraits. And there's a great sense of intimacy, there's a great sense of, I guess, uh, love and loss and grief all captured in this painting. And the more I read about Tissot and the more I read about Mrs. Newton, I just, I feel, feel actually a little bit sad reading about her um, death um, this morning, talking about it with, with, um, with Tony. Of course, it's in the office next to me. Um, but yeah, I, I think I'll leave it there um, and I will take any questions that you have. Mm -hmm.